You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. RPN. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships Collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 273, Captive Pursuit. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I am Tosk. No, 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 you're not. No, I'm not. But I feel like it sometimes. Am I right? No, 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 you most definitely are not. Fine. I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, Captive Pursuit, where Deep Space Nine welcomes its first guests from the Gamma Quadrant, which is an incredibly different place. John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first... A word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. Hey, uh, you know what's cool? We've been getting comments and email and photos from listeners who have said things along the lines of, I've been hearing you guys talk about Eagle Moss and I decided to bite the bullet and order these and I love them. So uh, special thanks to Jason and others who have sent photos of your amazing collections. Thanks for that. What we're talking about is the classic collection of teeny tiny starships, the ones that are perfect for building your own fleet. Maybe you put them on your desk. Maybe you put them on the kitchen table. Maybe you put them on a shelf behind that table, as I might do. Whatever flat surface, you might have loads of flat surfaces that are just screaming out for a starship collection. Well, this collection is officially authorized by CBS Studios. The official Star Trek Starships collection is available only from Eagle Moss. Now, this is the ultimate collection. The ultimate collection! Thank you for that, Ken. Of vessels from across the Star Trek universe, from the original series to Deep Space Nine, all the way to Star Trek Beyond and Beyond. I love that. You think of Deep Space Nine as home now, don't you? I do, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Each model is made of die-cast metal and high-quality ABS materials, then hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production and, where they exist, photos of the original studio models. Each ship also comes with a display base, plus a collector's magazine, featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of technology on board. Subscribe to the collection today to receive your first ship, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, for only $4.95 with free shipping. Additional models, and there are already over a 100 of the ships, will then ship twice monthly and are delivered directly to your door. As a subscriber, you're also entitled to free gifts worth over $90, and you can cancel your subscription at any time. Full details can be found at st-starships.com slash mission log. Now, people who'd like to purchase their favorite ships individually, like the Bajoran Solar Sailor, the Cardassian Galore class, or Deep Space Nine itself can do that for just a few dollars more, either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at your local comic shop. But again, to subscribe, point your browser to st-starships.com slash mission log that's st hyphen starships.com slash mission log and a big thanks as always to eagle moss for sponsoring this week's show john's got trivia coming up in a moment but first i'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us mission log pod is the address to find us on facebook skype and twitter 
If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, I will say, John, I have not counted the number of um, regulars we have on this show. I don't know how many more cast trading cards we have, but I think we have at least one or two more. And I'm looking forward to see who you feature this week in trivia. Well, wait no more, Ken, because here we go with trivia for Captive Pursuit. The episode was written by Jill Sherman Donner, just a couple of Star Trek credits to her name, but she had a nice run of contributions as a writer, producer, and creative consultant for a number of genre projects. Voyagers, The Incredible Hulk, Freddy's Nightmares, and her one other Trek project, well, she rewrote Rascals, though that was without an on-screen credit. The script, the teleplay for this episode, was written by Jill Sherman Donner and Michael Piller, and it was directed by Corey Allen. This is a name that goes way back. Remember Corey Allen? He directed Encounter at Farpoint. Now, he had four more TNG episodes under his belt, ending with the Wesley-centric episode Journey's End, and he will have three more Deep Space Nine credits as we go along. Today's episode won an Emmy for Makeup. Michael Westmore and his team did an exceptional job on Tosk and the Hunters for this one, so a well-deserved award there. Hey, Ken, I'm always really excited when I watch an episode, and and I, I really think highly of myself when I can tie it back to a, a a literary reference or something like that, as I did this time, and I thought, oh, this story reminds me of the 1924 Richard Connell uh, a story, The Most Dangerous Game, and then I realized that Everybody else had drawn that same conclusion, whether you go to IMDb or Memory Alpha or anywhere else. Yes, it was indeed inspired by that story. So at least I was on the same wavelength with others. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Listen, pal, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of you. Okay. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Even if everybody else thought of it, you thought of it. I I thought of it too. Everybody else did too. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Ken, you asked me who was going to be the centerpiece of our uh, our trading card series of trivia for our main cast this week. Well, this week it's Terry Farrell, our own Jadzia Dax. Terry is from Iowa and studied in Mexico, and then she dropped out of school to start a modeling career, and that in short turn led to early acting roles like a recurring job on Paper Dolls. Guest roles soon followed like Family Ties, Twilight Zone, Quantum Leap, And I absolutely love that she was in the 1986 Rodney Dangerfield film, Back to School, as Valerie. That's interesting. I got to ask, though, how do you feel about the fact that she left Deep Space Nine for Becker? Yeah, uh, you know, maybe not a choice that I would have made, but um, yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's a big show. I mean, that's network TV with Ted Danson, who is a big bankable star. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she'd played Jadzia for a while at that point. Right, yeah. But, but hey, we haven't gotten there yet. I mean, you know, we'll, we, we we got a little time and, and we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see how we deal with that Dax transition a little ways down the road. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. You're telling me that Terry Farrell is going to leave, but Dax is going to stay? Wait a minute. I what? I, yeah. I don't even. Mm-hmm. I Man, that would probably be hard on the people in her life, huh? Yeah, maybe as an old man again. <laughs> maybe we had to go back to the kind of Dax that, that Cisco knew. Oh, that would be. I man, love would, that idea. That would actually take us back change. to the original Trill story in TNG, which mm-hmm. in, in, in a different way. Yeah. In a yeah. very different way. <laughs> hey, it's worth noting that as of our recording of this podcast, very recently, Terry Farrell has married somebody from the Star Trek family, Adam Nimoy. So, uh, congratulations to them both. Very yes. Nice. I nearly mm-hmm. said happy birthday. Why? <laughs> well, I'm sure she's got one of those too. 
I don't know when. I would imagine she does, yeah. yeah. I've got like a Frosty yeah. the Snowman thing going on here, though. It's like I just woke up and the first thing I say every time, <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> Let's talk about guest stars. In this episode, Kelly Curtis turns up early in the show as Miss Sandra, the Dabo girl. Uh, Kelly started in the biz at two years old in the movie The Vikings in 1958. Then as an adult in the 80s and 90s, she showed up in a number of TV shows and movies, The Equalizer, Kojak, Silt Stockings, and had a recurring role on The Sentinel. And, oh yeah, she is one daughter of Janet Lee and Tony Curtis. So she appeared with her sister Jamie Lee Curtis in another favorite movie of mine, 1983's Trading Places. We have Garrett Graham playing The Hunter. Garrett has a lot of roles under his belt, both in front of the camera and as a voice actor. He's provided voices in Gargoyles, The Critic, Fievel's American Tales, and on screen, you've seen him in Parker Lewis Can't Lose, Used Cars, uh, a recurring role on Dallas, and he played Beef in Brian De Palma's 1974 Phantom of the Paradise. And he'll be back for one more trek in Voyager. Uh, of course, I mean, he, Garrett Graham, will be back, not Beef. Uh, Beef will not be back in, uh, in Star Trek Voyager, though that would be really interesting. I feel certain, though, that if Beef does turn up on screen, you will talk about it for at least five minutes. Easily. That's Easily. a food joke. Yep. That's a food mm -hmm. joke. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> and we have Scott McDonald playing Tosk. All right. So Scott McDonald is an actor with a lot of Trek cred. This is technically his first Star Trek appearance, but we talked about him before. So Captive Pursuit aired about a week before the season six next-gen episode, Face of the Enemy, in which Scott played the Romulan in Vec. Now, these two roles kicked off a long association with the franchise, and we will see him again on Deep Space Nine, as well as Voyager, and in a recurring role on Enterprise. He is an alligator-type fugitive who is just dying to get caught. All the way from the Gamma Quadrant. He is Tosk. Prologue. We open with one of the Dabo girls from Quarks complaining to Commander Sisko of sexual harassment. Quark's been all knuckles with the female in question, though she says she's not that kind of girl. The problem is her contract makes her that kind of girl, according to page 21, subsection D, paragraph 12. While admitting that he's no legal expert, Sisko assures the woman that contractor no... He'll speak with Quark, and she won't have to be that kind of girl. That problem is barely dealt with when the station has another. Major Kira calls Sisko to let him know that something's coming through the wormhole, though nothing is scheduled. When the ship comes through, it's like nothing anyone from the Alpha Quadrant has ever seen. And so is the single crew member. The ship is about to come apart, and O'Brien offers to beam the individual aboard. Refusing to leave his ship, O'Brien offers instead to bring him in with a tractor beam. They'll have him fixed up and on his way in no time. The alien agrees, and the ship is brought in. Reading his nervousness, senior staff decides to skip formal first contact procedures. Instead, Sisko sends O'Brien to welcome the alien alone. He does have one request, though. If you can, find out what's got the alien so worried. Act 1. Checking the alien ship, O'Brien finds... No one... Sensors say he's still there, but Miles can't see him. So he tells whoever might be there that he's just going to check out his ship. Apparently sensing no threat, the alien makes himself visible because, yeah, invisibility is apparently something he can do. He startles O'Brien when he unexpectedly starts conferring with him about the problems with the ship. The alien says he has no time to wait for repairs, though O'Brien says he'll have him on his way as soon as humanly possible. That's what I am, by the way. Human. Miles O'Brien. And you are? I am Tosk, says the alien. Is that your name? Your species? I am Tosk, he replies. Okay, then. O'Brien eventually talks Tosk out of his ship. He's startled by the sensor that scans for weapons as they enter Deep Space Nine. He's also less than forthcoming about damage to his ship. Miles says it looks like somebody fired on him, though Tosk says the ride through the wormhole was rough. They also have a bit of a cultural exchange. O'Brien explains that Deep Space Nine's primary purpose now is to keep an eye on the wormhole. Ships come through all the time these days. The alien says others from his side of the wormhole will find them. will come here. Miles says, yeah, we hope so. 
See, it's their job to seek out new life, to get to know them. And what about you? I am Tosk. Okay, then. O'Brien shows Tosk to his guest quarters, though Tosk says he's in a hurry to get to work on his ship. Yeah, that's going to be a while. Make yourself comfortable. When O'Brien's gone, Tosk does just that, by asking the computer where the weapons are kept. Act 2. Reporting into Cisco, O'Brien's pretty sure that Tosk is being chased by someone. He's also not buying the story of how the ship got damaged. Something did shoot at it. Cisco tells O'Brien to stick close to the guy. He'll have Odo keep an eye on him as well. Of course, for O'Brien, hanging with Tosk is easy. They're both working on a ship anyway. That's coming along, though it'll still take a day or two. So they go to Quark's for a drink and more cultural exchange. Humans sleep eight hours per rotation. Tosk's sleep, 17 minutes per rotation. Humans eat and drink. Tosk stores liquid nutrients in pockets in his body. Humans do things for fun. And that's just too much for Tosk. He really doesn't get the Alpha Quadrant. Quark tries to tempt Tosk with some diversion. Food, drink, a fantasy adventure in a hollow suite. Tosk says he has no need of a fantasy adventure. He lives the greatest adventure one could desire. Sounds pretty cool. Though when O'Brien asks what he means, Tosk says he cannot discuss it. Reporting in again to senior staff, O'Brien has definitely softened where Tosk is concerned. He likes the guy, and he senses no criminal intent. That's an assessment that might change when he learns what Odo's just seen. Tosk trying to override ship security. Trapped? Tosk says he must prepare, though he cannot say for what. He is Tosk. And now, he is in a cell. Act 3. It looks like Tosk was trying to override security to access Deep Space Nine's weapons. Still, he won't say much. Asked if he's committed a crime for which he's wanted, the alien says, Never! I am Tosk! That still doesn't mean anything to anyone. Cisco orders Tosk held, probably until somebody comes looking for him. Alone with Tosk, O'Brien tries to get more answers, though he won't get many. Tosk says O'Brien must let him out. He must be allowed to die with honor. And that's all he'll say. Not much later, and hey, check that out. A ship similar to Tosk's has come through the wormhole. It's scanned Deep Space Nine. It's prep transporters. It's... Whoa. It has knocked out DS9's shields. And now beings from the new ship have beamed to the promenade. The three invaders are helmeted and armed to the teeth. Cisco, Odo, Kira, and others ready phasers as we had to break. Act 4. This fight, firefight, and Deep Space Nine is no match. One of the invaders makes it to the brig and finds Tosk. He radios his compatriots. I have Tosk, alive. It is over. And with that, the other two beam away. And the one invader left starts a serious course of shaming. What a disappointment. And after such an entertaining beginning, look at you, caged, helpless. It is a disgrace to all Tosk, the most disappointing hunt in memory. For this dishonor, you'll experience the greatest humiliation a Tosk can know. You will live out your existence on public display, where children can make fun of you, toss you scraps of food, which is more than you deserve. The hunter orders Cisco to release Tosk. Yeah, you've messed up my space station for your amusement. I am not inclined to take orders from you. Want to talk in private? Cisco's not impressed with the hunt. Sure, we used to hunt for fun on Earth. Some cultures still do. But we would never consider hunting a sentient being. The hunter explains. He is sentient because we've made him sentient. He's been bred for the hunt. His entire reason to exist is the hunt, to make it as exciting, as interesting as he can. Cisco says he cannot tolerate the abuse. Abuse? We honor Tosk. They are the symbol of all that is noble and courageous. They're proud of their role in our culture. Yeah, I'm not going to fly here. 
Fine, says the hunter. In the future, going through the wormhole will be against the rules of the hunt. Now, let the task go. Sisko announces his plans to do so, against O'Brien's wishes. So, they have an idea. If Tosk asks for asylum, Deep Space Nine will grant it. Of course, Tosk won't do it. He is Tosk, after all. Sure, living in a cage on public display is going to suck. But to run, to live under the protection of the Federation, would be worse. He thanks O'Brien, but he cannot request asylum. Act 5. A quick, contentious talk with Quark gives O'Brien an idea. He'll change the rules of the hunt. In the brig, the hunter has Tosk leashed for transport back to his ship. Odo will accompany them. Or would have. O'Brien says he's been ordered by Sisko to see the visitors off. This angers Odo, who sees this as a security matter, and he's had a security, so he's going to have some angry words with Commander Sisko. O'Brien then tells the hunter that he'll escort him personally to his ship. A sort of informal, thanks for stopping by the Alpha Quadrant ceremony. O'Brien then removes and tosses down his comms badge as they head out of the brig. In Sisko's office, Odo starts to have his angry words over Sisko's orders. But Sisko says he gave no orders to O'Brien. Sisko calls the engineer, who, of course, is not wearing his communicator. Odo's about to hurry off to see what's going on, though Sisko thinks he knows what's going on, and urges Odo to take his time. Heading back to the hunter's ship... Remember the weapon sensor that startled Tosk in Act 1? It's been boosted several notches. The hunter, still carrying his weapons, is knocked flat by the overpowered sensor, then knocked cold by O'Brien. When he comes to, he signals the rest of his party. The hunt has resumed. O'Brien hurries Tosk to his ship, which is repaired and ready to go. Removing Tosk's collar and leash, Tosk tells O'Brien that now... He is Tosk as well. After repelling the hunting party, they finally make it to Tosk's ship. The hunt goes on. Tosk offers to bring O'Brien along, though the engineer says, one day as Tosk is enough for him. With that, they say goodbye. Die with honor, O'Brien. Die with honor, Tosk. Back in Sisko's office, O'Brien is getting the riot act. I hope you know that this will go down on your permanent record. You assaulted a member of our first contact with an alien species. O'Brien tries to make his case, though Sisko won't hear it. He ignored his orders, ignored the Prime Directive, took off his badge so he could ignore Sisko. One more stunt like this and you will be off of Deep Space Nine. O'Brien says he understands. Though there is one thing he doesn't understand... Sisko and Odo must have known something was amiss, must have seen the trick that he pulled overloading the weapon sensor. O'Brien thought for sure that he and Tosk would be captured at that point. Hmm, we must have missed that. O'Brien thanks Sisko and is dismissed. The end. Oh, one more stunt like that, and you'll be kicked off Deep Space Nine. Yeah, you'll have to go back to the next generation. Yeah, yeah the, the, the place that Odo says nobody wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Commander Sisko, don't throw me in the briar patch. Uh-huh, exactly, yeah. I, it's a little weird that this is the first time we've met anyone from the Gamma Quadrant, because we, we're five episodes in, the first episode we established, whoa, there's this wormhole and we can go anywhere. And, and even O'Brien is telling Keiko, like, you go get plants yeah. from, from the Gamma Quadrant. We have yet to see anything from the Gamma Quadrant until now, and it's one guy. Well, we have yet to have anything come through to us in the Gamma Quadrant. We're apparently running ships there all the time. According to O'Brien, caravans and other ships. You know, it could be the whole thing. You know how you always talk about the fact that everybody wants to get away from the Federation? <laughs> yeah. Maybe so much that they're like, you know what? I'm even done with this whole quadrant of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Nuts mm-hmm. to this. I'm going, well, I don't know where, but there's a place. And the name of the place escapes me. I think we can go that way, though, and we'll get there. <laughs> right. Right. I had a question about our first visitors. Um, not Tosk, but the Hunters. Mm-hmm. Is it just me, or do they look like Hunters from Orc? Yeah. <laughs> 
right? So yeah, sort sort of like Colonel Green's costume, which yes. then became Mork's costume. Yes, from Mork and Mindy, by the way, kids, ask your parents. Yeah, it, it's a little red, and then it's a little space balls on top. It is a little space balls on top. Yeah, the helmet kind of kills it as far as the Mork thing, but I think the I think the silver sash actually sort of recalls the the triangle that Mork had on his jumpsuit, mm-hmm. which Colonel Green, by the way, did not have. No, no, no. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it was a little, it, it was a little um, oh '90s sci-fi TV. Oh, I loved that, it. That, it, it. Yeah, you know what you? It honestly reminded me of what's that? Well, you remember the, uh, well, of course you did. This is a stupid question. It's rhetorical, though, so don't answer. You remember the 2009 reboot of Star Trek? Don't answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying silent. Yeah. You remember the cop that was chasing uh, young James D. Kirk? Oh, sure. Okay. Helmet okay. reminded me a bit of that. And actually, the sash reminded me a bit of that as well. Now, in this episode, the Universal Translator is really working overtime, and we have new species from a whole new quadrant. Mm-hmm. Like uh, O'Brien says, you're in the Alpha Quadrant. He's like, what is that? Like, you know, just like no, no basis of comparison at all. And yet, they're able to have a conversation. So that translator totally working correctly. Yeah, which is totally weird because as we established last week, it can't suss the difference between being in Barney and taking the Mickey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, we actually got a few uh, comments about that. Uh, why didn't they just use a universal translator? And I, they, there's got to be an explanation, uh, which they did not tell us. <laughs> yes, which <laughs> so, is fine. That's fine. Yeah. I was surprised to learn in this episode that there's only about 300 people living on Deep Space Nine. There's a lot of empty space there, if that's the case. Just a ton, because it, we saw what the Enterprise looks like docked at Deep Space Nine. And it's tiny compared to Deep Space Nine. Tiny, and it's got over a thousand people on it. And Deep Space Nine, like I said, I keep trying to kind of get my bearings on where things are. And it's just huge. It would just feel like walking through an empty city, I would think. 300 people living in, say, like downtown L.A. (laughs) 300 people going to work, coming back. Yeah, I I can't even imagine. Yeah, it'd be kind of like moving the population of Bakersfield to Los Angeles. Right. And, of course, moving the population of Los Angeles someplace else. Yep. Because if you just put the population of Bakersfield into Los Angeles the way it is now, that's just more people. Oh, that's fine. We totally absorb that. Oh, yeah, Yeah, totally. You can absolutely do that. But, yes, then if you took out all the Angelinos, I suppose, and put them – I don't know. Where are we going to put them now? Eh, We can work on that problem another time. (laughs) Hey, uh, shout out to our man, Dr. Bashir – uh, Julian mm-hmm. in this episode, I believe, had one line totally stepped on by somebody else. He's like, he's like Worf until Worf gets here. Worf gets here? I, well, that's what I hear. Remember how we used to marvel at the ways and times that Picard and everybody else would just tell Worf no? Oh, so much in the first few seasons. Yes. Yeah. Nobody even bothers to say no to Julian in this episode. He's in the middle of making a suggestion, granted, a very weak suggestion. <laughs> But like halfway through his suggestion, O'Brien just starts talking over him in the middle of his sentence. I mean, (laughs) at least Zaphod would let Arthur finish his sentence before he would make fun of him. Like (laughs) O'Brien doesn't even have time for that. Just like, yeah, I'm 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 so done listening to you. I'm not even listening to you. I'm going to (laughs) continue. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It can only go up from here for Dr. Bashir. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, Cool thing about Tosk. 17 minutes of sleep. Mm -hmm. That is rad. I so want that. I could get so much more done. That would be fantastic. Conversely, something I don't want, um, I don't want to be fed by the liquid nutrients stored in plasma fibers in my body. Um, Definitely not excited at that prospect at all. Okay, so here's the thing. You and I are sort of on opposite sides of both of those things. I would love to be able to function with only 15 to 17 minutes of sleep. That would be fine with me. But I really do like sleep. So when I eventually get around to it, I, 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 tend, I tend to go pretty hard at that. Okay. At All the right. same time, yes, I would absolutely, if I could quit eating and, and be fed by liquid nutrients and plasma fibers in my body, <laughs> sign me up. Yes, absolutely. Because oh, food has been one of my best friends slash worst enemies my entire life. And so if, if food and I could shake hands and part ways... <laughs> You know, and both of us live happily ever after, I'd be fine. If I could feel well rested after 17 minutes of sleep, that's like at least two more meals I could get in (laughs) 
for the day. <laughs> Swear to so, God, you're half Hobbit, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, now, I, I do like uh, O'Brien had an idea. They're going to take the uh, Arvanodes because they have those on Tosk's ship. Right. And take those over to the Replicator Center to make new ones. Um, but the Replicator, I believe, just replicates <laughs> whatever you put into it. Right. So it's like, here's this broken thing. Right. Make me a thousand of that broken thing. Right. <laughs> See, Tosk, just as good as the one you handed me, including with the crack, right? Oh, uh, oh uh, I think I see the yeah. problem. Yeah, mm -hmm. that could be an issue. Odo. Says to Kira, they're in that firefight, and Kira is handing Odo a phaser, and he goes, thanks, Major, you know I never use them. And, <laughs> no, no thanks. You know what this made me think of? It's how we've talked a, a few times now, in a very few episodes, how he's just sort of old West lawman. Mm -hmm. I got a name for him. Okay. High Plains Shifter. That's Thank you. you. Thank you very there. much. That's good. I'd love to see that somebody would do the cover of that book for me. I yeah. promise not to read the book, but I would love to see the cover. <laughs> uh, some character stuff in this one. This is kind of the uh, almost a little bit the the smarmiest, most manipulative we've ever seen. O'Brien, um, you know, the whole thing like O'Brien taking the com badge off and leaving it behind, and and you know, going around orders and actually breaking this guy out, like doing this stuff. I, I would say that this is totally out of character, but. All I know about O'Brien's character up to this point is that he really loves Transporter Room 3. Yeah, it's his favorite. And, and he really needs to work on those relationship skills yes. uh, with his wife. That's pretty much it. He does also leave his socks everywhere. Oh, yeah. That was a big indicator right there. Yeah, that was a, that was another thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Mostly what we've seen of O'Brien is either arguing with Keiko or standing around waiting for somebody to transport. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's out of character. I guess we'll find out, um, mm -hmm. you know, as Deep Space Nine rolls along or, you know, mm -hmm. floats sort of in mid-space. <laughs> Stationary. <laughs> next to the wormhole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm beginning to think this really is going to be a thing. Dabo mm -hmm. just continues to vex me, man. Uh, Olivia Dabo? No, no. Well, she does. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. I'll be completely honest there. But no, uh -huh. the game, supposedly, it seems like somebody is winning all the time. Yeah. Yet everyone seems incredibly surprised and extremely excited when somebody wins, <laughs> which seems to happen all the time. <laughs> right. It vexes me. It tasks me. If Daft Punk and Mork from Ork had children, they would look exactly like the Hunters. I have a crazy idea. I'm going to start the discussion uh, at the beginning of the episode. What? I know. I know. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. The very opening of the episode. So here's the thing. I watched that scene. You have Miss Sarda <laughs> in there talking to uh, to Cisco, and I thought, oh, well, well, this surely will come back to us at some point in the episode. Surely we will wrap this up and we will see the showdown between Cisco and Quark and, and the negotiation that gets her out of this terrible contract. And it, surely this will play out. And then it didn't. And then I was disappointed. And I went back to rewatch the episode a couple of times. And I thought, man, they just snuck in this scene. And it has nothing to, oh, wait a minute. This is a setup for what is to come. It, it, it threw me off. And I think it was designed to throw us off a little bit because it's so clear cut here she is in this bad situation quark is a, a lech and he's into all kinds of devious stuff and and a ferengi contract just sounds like a terrible thing to be trapped in mm -hmm. and and you just you immediately side with her and you immediately think yes yeah, cisco you need to fix this because this is just wrong um and there it is then we play out the entire episode. And what we play out in the entire episode is this terrible contract that Tosk has with the Hunters. I don't mean a physical contract, a written contract, but it's the implied contract because that's who they are. That's what the expectations are uh, of, of what they do. And we, again, using we in quotations, whenever I say we, I mean us, the, the, the audience sort of in the place of the, the, the protagonist of the show. 
Um, right. We look at that situation and go, that is horrible. That's terrible. But we're forced to sort of take a step back from that and say, do we have the right to judge that arrangement? Whereas at the beginning of the episode, we get to say, that's horrible. That's terrible. Cisco really needs to fix that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought it was a very clever scene to have at the beginning of the show. Interesting. I felt like there was probably some correlation that I'm missing. And it's interesting to me that you're drawing the line that you're drawing between the two. Mm-hmm. Again, though, we have that problem of the impossibility of Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Tosk has been genetically engineered, born, raised, built, bred, whatever you want to say, to want this, this bad thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, Cisco. Cisco wasn't in Quark's seeing what was happening and then stepping in and fixing it. That might have actually made it more more of a correlation to me. Mm, mm, if Cisco mm. took it upon himself to fix this and then find out from her, no, I don't want this. Thank you, Cisco, because you're right. He is treating me terribly, but it's in my contract, and so I thought I had to. And then yeah, Cisco steps yeah. up and says, no, 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 you don't have to. And so then Tosk comes, and Cisco's like, no, 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 you don't have to. And Tosk is like, dude, it's kind of what I want. It's my job. It's my gig. It's what I've been raised for. It's my part <laughs> right. in my society. I want this. And then Cisco has to go, okay, my bad, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it just, I mean, I'm, I, like I say, I'm glad you saw that. I'm glad you saw that link. Um, the, the link was a tiny bit tenuous for me to, hmm. to say that belongs in this episode. But again, I think it's the impossibility of Star Trek where we have, oh, sure, sure. you know, where we have this thing that's like, not to bring it up twice in one show, but it's like, uh, it's like the cows in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that are bred to be eaten. Actually, the restaurant at the end of the universe, they're, they're bred to want to die mm-hmm. for somebody's meal. They work their whole lives right. to be the perfect steak, which <laughs> I would think would appeal to you quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Or you can do the five-minute beef talk now or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to wait till it's on screen, and we have okay, to know that okay. it's beef. And I think yeah. to set it even further apart, let's make sure it's not replicated beef, because that's like spending five minutes talking about Sindahal. Okay, well, I know we'll get there when we get to Enterprise, so we've only got about six years before oh, we get oh, there. Oh, good. So, so, so yeah. mm, your mouth's yeah. watering already. Just wait. Right, right. And, and by the way, I, I know that, you know, between the two, when we talk about the contract and what, what is Cisco's authority and, and Deep Space Nine isn't the Federation and it isn't Starfleet and uh, Cisco's, I, I know all that. Yes, because we will get emails spelling out the exact structure of who's responsible for what and what that contract probably said. That's beside the point. <laughs> the, the point is simply that thematically, that we we introduce the idea of somebody who is in this situation by circumstance maybe didn't fully understand what was going on but but there it is in black and white there there is the expectation laid out in front of everybody that that's the situation with um uh with Sarda to me there is in a parallel when you introduce Tosk that this is a a disturbing situation to say the least, particularly for us on the outside. But then he gets to say, well, this is what we do. This is the implied contract between who I am and who they are. So, so be it. And, and we're not necessarily allowed to, to step in. We, we can judge it because certainly Cisco judges what happens from the beginning, but then he washes his hands up and says, look, all all we can do, we're, we're not here to change the way they do things. They're not under our jurisdiction, so they just need to go. It's like this episode was specifically designed to explore ideas of culture and tradition versus prime directive versus moral absolutes. I mean, Mm. we're, we're completely supposed to question everyone's decisions here, and that's what I like about it. We question Cisco's decisions, O'Brien's decisions, Tosk's decisions. We are set up to kind of judge and question the hunters and that whole arrangement. Mm-hmm. Way back in our TOS episodes, uh, I, I talked from time to time about my admiration for some of Sam Harris's writing. Um, and he's someone who explores the idea as a moral philosopher, somebody who explores the idea of moral absolutes coming from a scientific and logical point of view. So this episode then started to fire up those same thoughts that I had. You know, can we objectively look at what's happening between the hunter and the Tosk 
and say that there is a moral absolute principle at stake here? Or do we simply have to wash our hands of it and say, not our culture, they're 90. I, I love the fact that they're from the Gamma Quadrant because we, we even get to say they're from 90,000 light years away. This has nothing to do with us at all. So I thought it was a very cleverly designed episode to force us to question those things and keep twisting and keep twisting and keep twisting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel, though, when you say this has nothing to do with us at all. I mean, what Cisco was talking about when he says, yeah, some people still hunt on Earth, but we would never hunt anybody sentient. And then the hunter says, well, he's only sentient because we made him sentient because we wanted this to be good. And he's happy with it. This is the reason, you know, this is the reason he is for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. I still have to wonder if we can really honor something and honor ourselves if we raise that thing to kill or, or to, uh, for us to kill it or we raise that thing for us to abuse it. I read an article recently about how we treat uh, pleasure bots, let's say. Mm, and, yeah, and adults yeah. know what I'm talking about. And kids may just think, you know, I'm talking about somebody who's trying to steal their elections. I read an article recently about how we treat pleasure bots and whether there should actually be laws governing how we treat um, these machines. A small part of the concern was whether that would lead to abuse of, you know, artificially intelligence or, 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 or pleasure bots with manufactured intelligence when, you know, that truly arrives. See, also yeah. measure of a man. Right. But a bigger concern was what does it do to us? And how we treat actual people as a result, uh, see also measure of a man. I, I mean, I get, I get, I get what the hunter is saying. I do. Yeah. At the same time, if we're eventually able to clone people, well, I mean, the reason we have this clone is so we could hunt him. I mean, he's a person, right? And maybe he's a person we made, mm -hmm. and maybe he's a person that we made for this thing, but he's a person. And if he can say, if you prick me, do I not bleed? Then do we not owe it to him at that <laughs> point to save him? Now, of course, the question that you then have is, if he doesn't want to be saved, would we not on this planet? I mean, let's, let's pretend it's us. Would we not then say somebody needs to do something? Because then you're only three feet away from saying, well, this couple had the child to sell it. Yeah, right. Right. Well, we, we sort of, we had a similar question only a couple of weeks ago and we asked if, uh, uh, if you clone yourself with the intention of then killing that clone, mm -hmm. <laughs> first of all, does the clone know about it? And then are you left with the question, is it murder if you kill your own clone? In the Alpha Quadrant, Odo says yes. Yep. Yeah. And the Gamma Quadrant? Well, who knows? A little, little more flexible. Yeah. But then should we be more flexible about it because you are here? Well, right. Yeah. I mean, they, they are in our space at that point. And, and I think that's where this episode falls in that really interesting gray moral area. Like, I think the, the moral principle is an immutable one. You know, if I go back to this idea, if we say that, yes, it, there is a moral absolute here that, that killing, killing Tosk is wrong. Tosk is a sentient being. I think the show wants our sympathies to be with Tosk. That's why we have the friendship developed there with O'Brien. Um, but from the, from the sort of political structure that's there, uh, they, they also make a compelling argument for Cisco's side, which is to say, it's not our jurisdiction what they do because they are not from here. Yes, they're, they're occupying our space at the moment, but at some point they're going to have to leave. And at some point when they do leave, they'll go back to the hunter and the hunted. Like that, that's just a given that'll happen. So our only level of interference is the, <laughs> the very clever, quote unquote, non-interference by, in this case, not interfering with what O'Brien is doing. Mm. was being very slow about it. So we can right. sort of still say at the end of the day, well, we did the right thing. We, we, we adhered to the, the, the letter of the law, even if not the, the spirit of the law. Well, you kind of adhered to both, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. You adhered to the letter so. of the law because, you know, oh, yeah, we, we definitely, you know, tried to stop him. Maybe not as quickly as we might have. But we, yeah. we I don't want to say we totally tried, but we tried. <laughs> we tried. Yeah. And yet the spirit of the Federation would be, or the spirit of Starfleet would be, yeah, I'm going to say that killing this thing that can think is wrong, even if that's the whole reason this thing that can think came into being. Yeah. 
unless you know you're part of some you know, deep dark secret part of the federation and starfleet which we're not going to talk about yet <laughs> talk to me about uh o'brien's barkeep comments to quark <laughs> which in particular i i thought first of all calling him barkeep mm-hmm. that was just it was a little strange a little dismissive a little out of place and that's what i'm talking about talking about i mean because quark comes up and says hey proprietor host pal uh-huh. listener uh-huh. any number of things you can call me don't call me barkeep and so O'Brien does it again. I, I, I don't know why. Well, because here's the problem. We haven't really established a relationship between O'Brien and Quark. So how do we feel about the fact that O'Brien is starting his relationship with Quark, being completely dismissive and, in fact, insulting? <laughs> yeah, well. I mean, because there are any number of things. If Quark were from Earth, there are any number of things he could think to call an Irishman besides oh, sure. Irishman. And I don't, yeah. think, I yeah. don't think O'Brien would be happy about it. Yeah. But O'Brien's going to walk in and say, hey offensive term that you don't want me using calling you this it's not really an offensive term there's nothing offensive about barkeep except that quark says dude don't call me that yeah call me any of a number of other things but don't call me that because i'm more than that yeah and o'brien's like nuts to you barkeep (laughs) you just say look dude all you do is replicate food and then sell it to people. That's your uh, Excuse deal. me. Sometimes he has to steal replicated food to sell oh, to people. Oh, that's so true. There's, there's so more true, work to yeah. it than you think. Plus, <laughs> he apparently knows how to play Dabo. So he's got at least one up on both of us. <laughs> and, and, and apparently everybody else, too. Just, yeah, I feel like they're in there making it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's something that's come up. So I, we're so just fresh into Deep Space Nine. And, and I feel like some of our listeners have taken a little bit of umbrage that we would compare Cisco's command style with Picard's. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the thing that's come up. We have, would Picard have done that? Would, and and then people want to jump in and say, oh, but just wait until this. Well, here's the thing, though. This is Star Trek. And what we are supposed to do here with two shows that aired back to back and went to great lengths with Deep Space Nine to present a contrast to what we just saw in TNG. I, I think that that is part of the fun of this show is sort of showing that underbelly of what else is happening when Starfleet is not so squeaky clean as we have just seen with, uh, with, with TNG. So we get to see O'Brien change a bit as a character here. Mm-hmm. I think, and we know about the socks, we know about the bickering and we know that he <laughs> loves transporter room three, but now we get to see him kind of go rogue a little here. Um, I wonder if he would have done the same thing if he was still under Picard's command. Because I'm I'm thinking no. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, would Picard have been so sly as Cisco? And again, I, I'm also thinking no. Um, it, there's that great moment where where Cisco says to Odo, Constable, there's no hurry. <laughs> that mm-hmm. that slow walk, Odo just kind of <laughs> keeping his head turned. To, it's so it's such a wonderfully directed and wonderfully acted moment where you don't need any words after that. Um, but I can't help because again, this show is set up as a contrast to TNG. I can't help but ask how would that have played out on Next Gen? Now, in our wrap up, I'm going to talk about the episode that I think this has the most parallel to um mm-hmm. and, and we might get a, a little further into that but um but yeah i i just I, I wonder if um if you're on a starfleet ship full of starfleet personnel and dolphins uh and puppies <laughs> do, does the o'brien motivation play out the same way and i just don't i i don't know that if i have a i don't know that i have a good answer to that i think it does Honestly, I think it would have played out exactly the same way. I feel like this is the kind of gray uh, with which Picard might be willing to decorate from time to time. Hmm. Now, Hmm. that said, and I want to talk about what you mentioned a moment ago, because I actually had a a bit of an exchange with somebody on Twitter about this. Hmm. Basically, one person, I don't don't remember who it was, and I've actually taken Twitter off my phone, not because of this exchange, but because of all the other stuff that's happening on Twitter. I I couldn't. (laughs) So don't reach out to me on Twitter right now, because you won't find me there that much. My (laughs) account's still there, but I'm not responding right now. And we'll see how that goes in years to come. People listening 20 years from now would say, wow, so did he actually dig the Twitter? implant out of his skull right, right yeah no no no. Yeah. it's not quite like that today future man 
I'm sorry, future boy. Right, anyway. Here's what I will say. Yes, of course we're going to compare Cisco to Picard. We also sometimes compare Cisco to Kirk, and we've compared Picard to Kirk, and mm-hmm. we compared Jellico to everybody and vice versa. Yeah. What I said to the person uh, that I was talking to on Twitter was, we also compare Picard to Picard. Sometimes Picard does something that is very much not Picard, and so we will say, is this Picard? And that's who we're comparing him to at that point. For our show anyway so far, and granted we have not been through all the commanding officers, but for our show so far, Picard for the most part has been sort of the gold standard. I know he's not your captain, but I think you would agree he is a better captain. Would you not? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when we compare it to Picard, I don't feel like we're holding it to an impossible standard. I mean, I guess it is kind of an impossible standard, but it is the standard against which we compare Picard as well. Like Picard at his best is sort of the best, theoretically, that humanity has to offer as far as like leadership and as far as guidance and as far as, you know, being being part of a team. He leads the team, but he's part of the team. So I think that's, I mean, I think that's why we do the comparison to Picard in particular. Who knows? Maybe when we meet Janeway or maybe when we meet Archer (laughs) or anybody else who comes along, maybe they will be like, oh, no, it turns out it was this person. Okay, fine. Well, 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 ultimately, you you have to understand that, not you specifically, Ken, but you meaning (laughs) all of us, Mm -hmm. that uh, each episode of Star Trek is kind of designed like that, where you present the moral problem, the conundrum, uh, and then you take in all the sides, and TOS is very clear cut. You have Spock, you had McCoy, you had Kirk in the middle, our our ethos, pathos, logos. And you had uh, ethos in the middle being Kirk having to decide which is the right way to go here. So it wasn't about command style necessarily. Mm -hmm. It was about command decision. It was about what is the the moral way to go in this episode. Not every episode has a really clear-cut answer, and this is a great example of that. How is this going to turn out and who is really in the right here? So your feeling is this would not have gone the same way under Picard. My feeling is it may well have gone the same way under Picard. Here's the one thing that I think we can say. I don't want to go so far as to say definitively, but it's something that I think we we might both agree on. Um, I think you could say that Odo is learning Cisco's boundaries here. Mm. Either that or he's getting some seriously mixed messages. Because you remember, like a couple of weeks ago, Odo's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a way to get that guy off the station." <laughs> right. And right. Cisco's like, uh, "No, you're gonna, you know, follow the rules." And then, if that ends up with the guy off the station, that's okay. But if it ends up with him having done nothing wrong and being allowed to stay, that's okay too. This is the second week in a row that Odo's seen Cisco doing things not quite by the book. Last mm-hmm. week, he let Kira kidnap the Bajoran doctor. Yeah. Um, maybe he didn't know exactly what she was going to do, but he did know that she was up to something. And he also knew that the whole station was on lockdown. Nobody was supposed to be leaving. Yes. This week, when Odo is rushing to stop O'Brien and Tosk, Cisco basically tells Odo to slow walk it. And we don't disagree with his decision necessarily. We don't disagree with what ends up happening in either one of those. I just find it interesting. I don't know if Odo is getting bad messaging or if he's just learning Cisco's style here. He's learning where where the lines are with Cisco. Because no, you can't just kick somebody off the station because you want to kick them off the station. Uh, But if you think looking extra hard will maybe give you a reason to kick them off the station, maybe look a little extra hard. Don't don't you know don't don't look way too hard because then he might have a complaint. But if you want to look a little bit harder, that's fine. With the Hunters and Tosk on their way back to the Gamma Quadrant, it is time to see what we can take from Captive Pursuit. Shakespeare said, the play is the thing, and I say wordplay doubly so. Captive Pursuit is the title of this episode, John, Captive Pursuit. I looked it up, and uh, the only thing I could find online about Captive Pursuit is that it's an episode of Deep Space Nine. So the, oh, how convenient. Yeah, I know, That's right? really convenient, yeah. So they didn't pull from any, like, known quote or anything like that. 
What's weird to me is, I mean, it's it, it's still kind of an interesting wordplay because mm-hmm. the captive pursuit kind of thing, like he he is made to be pursued. That yeah. is all. That that that's it. Yep. You think, okay, well, he's running away, and hopefully he'll get away. No, he's running away, and hopefully he will die with honor. There's yeah. there's nothing to this pursuit, but for it to happen and eventually end. Did it bring up anything else for you, or is it just? I mean, because it's not quite laid bare. It's not like the defector, right? Which had a guy who was <laughs> defecting. Oh right, yeah. yeah. Or, that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or um, oh, I can't remember. It was the one where the ship got caught in the thing and the thing, and I can't remember. But maybe we'll think of it someday. No, we're talking though about captive pursuit. Yes. Well, the only interesting kind of tidbit there is that the original title for this episode was A Matter of Breeding, Hmm. which um, interesting enough, you could sort of take that in the social context where where that might be sort of a put down and very out of date. This is the kind of thing that's like from the 19th century where you could say like, well, you know, that person is that way because of their breeding. And this is a a horrible thing to say about somebody. But but that would be a, a context text for that. Um, but in this case, a matter of breeding, they mean literally that Tosk is bred for a job. Yeah. You know? And and then it sort of puts the question on the audience again, are we, I, I don't want to say that we're not allowed because we certainly are allowed, but, but are we right to question that, um, that that is the, the structure that they, the, the Tosk and the hunters have, have agreed upon? You know, may, may I tell you my favorite part of everything you just said? What's that? I asked you to talk about the title of this episode and you talked about a title that they tossed out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because I think it's a much more provocative title. Yeah, well, that's true. Although certainly mm-hmm. yeah, borderline offensive, as you say. Yeah. Like you could you, maybe you could have done like cast members, but C-A-S-T-E. Yeah. Oh, another way to do it. Also right. good. Yeah. And then yeah. people are going to be like, hey, I'm not sure you should, but uh, I'll try it. Try it. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, title discussed. Let us go on to the uh, other parts that we do here the messages, morals, and meanings, and whether this episode holds up. Uh, uh, starting with you, sir, uh, and starting with that, uh, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I mean, I, I usually like the episodes where you have this morally ambiguous message to chew on, um, or, or not even a message, but the, the morally ambiguous conundrum. And and I really like the acting here. I mean, it, it, this episode definitely highlights uh, Colmini and his relationship with Tosk is great, or O'Brien's relationship with Tosk is great. Um, and that central moral conundrum is something that Star Trek really likes to play with. Do we have any right or or maybe even an obligation to get in the middle of someone else's dispute, even when there may be a moral absolute at stake here? Uh, they, they keep adding and changing our conditional understanding of what's going on until by the end, we're maybe not 100% sure what the right answer is and what we would have done. So I really appreciate that from a storytelling point of view. It's solid. It may not be a classic for the ages, but it, it's really good. It's awfully good. And I mentioned uh, the parallel, what made me think about Picard. I thought about pen pals. In that episode, it wasn't our problem until it became our problem because there was a personal connection. So Data and Sarjenka have this personal relationship O'Brien and Tosk have this personal relationship that then makes things a bit harder, makes things harder for their each respective commanding officer, because what would have been a very simple thing to just say, oh, prime directive, not our problem, see ya, uh, then it becomes something they actually have to stop and deal with. Um, I also like that this episode opens up a conversation about nature versus nurture. Are you what you were programmed to be? You know, we're we're sort of given, we're we're told point blank that Tosk is what he is because that is what he was bred to be and nothing more, and that is what he wants. But he arrives at Deep Space Nine as an accident. Mm-hmm. He meets O'Brien and becomes friends with him, which is something that was not accounted for in everything that that led up to his breeding and being who he is. Uh, so then. Does the does the point change? Does the moral obligation change when the conditions change as well? Um, gosh, and there's that whole other conversation about hunting 
that that we could have <laughs> gone down into that road too, which we didn't. Uh, that'll be for our other other podcast, uh, the the one that we can't possibly take on uh, with the workload that we have now. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I, I think this episode holds up very well. It's one of those that grew on me. I watched it once and I thought, oh, okay, most dangerous game. Here's the guy. He's being hunted. People are coming after him. And it's sort of a prime directive thing. So we just sort of let them go. But the more I watched it, the more it grew on me, the more I appreciated the performances and the more I appreciated the, these gray areas that the episode was playing in. Uh, so it, it definitely holds up for me. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well acted. Interesting dilemma. I don't like the conclusion, but, you know, that's happened in past episodes as well, and that's fine. Um, it does give us a lot to think about, and that's never a bad thing. It's interesting that you see pen pals. I see um, half a life. Mm, yeah, of course. Yeah. Except, I mean, the difference between both pen pals and half a life is Sarjenka asked for help. And Timison mm -hmm. is thinking of breaking, you know, with his with his entire history, with his cultural history. He's thinking of breaking with mm -hmm. his people, and he wants to do that to save them. There's no part of Tosk. I mean, yes, Tosk was running, but Tosk was running because Tosk was <laughs> he was born to run. <laughs> Sorry, oh, no, it went there. He was made. Oh, he was there. made to run. Yes, uh, yeah, uh -huh. there should be a suicide machine quote in there somewhere too. Maybe I'll think of yeah. it. Maybe I won't. Um, he's running, but running is part of the game. In the end, he does not want out of the game. It, it, it is, it is, it is ultimately his goal to die, to die with honor, but he has to fight that, but not so much that he actually gets out. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I say, I don't, I don't like the way it ends, but I appreciate the way it ends. Yeah. I still don't know how I feel about it though. Like, like, I don't think there's a message there exactly, but I don't know. You tell me, I mean, were there messages that you pulled out of it? Well, that's the thing. There's not a message about the central conundrum. It's not a message about like, and here's how you should always behave in a situation where uh, a sentient being is bred to be hunted and uh, you have the power of the prime directive to either prevent or <laughs> allow that to happen. It's not about that. That's not the necessarily the challenge to the audience. There's some interesting ideas in this episode, uh, some great lines that I pulled. Uh, I have no use for fantasy adventure. I live the greatest adventure one could desire. Mm. Wow. Okay. Um, not, not, not even a quick spin in the holodeck. Okay. Okay. Um, but that, that was a, an interesting point of view about Tosk from Tosk. And then there was a, a, another nice line about Tosk, I believe it's O'Brien who says, uh, when he's trying to describe him to Cisco, a man who's always looking over his shoulder is waiting for trouble to find him. Hmm. Now, this is before we knew about Tosk, <laughs> about why he's actually there and what his role actually is. But it was an interesting uh, perspective that O'Brien had on Tosk uh, that, that, yeah, may, maybe... Maybe there are people who live their lives like that who are sort of expecting trouble, so they're going to find it. Hmm. Um, but with Tosk, Tosk had every reason to expect trouble because, again, that's what he was designed to be there for. Indeed. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I thought those were those were clever, but I don't think they're necessarily the the message we're supposed to take home. I think what we take home is this uncomfortable place that the that the episode leaves us with. Uh, what about you? Well, the one concern that I have is, yes, in the mid-90s, we're able to leave that idea sort of hanging. We're able to leave the idea dangling, going, wow, so that's what that was made for. And even though we don't necessarily agree with it, we're going to go ahead and let it happen because that's what it was made for and that's what it wants. We're much closer now to breeding animals for no other reason than because we want to. I mean, genetically cloning animals for no other reason than because we want to. Right now it's scientific, and yes, maybe eventually it'll solve a food problem. And then maybe, you know, what sucks is I never got to shoot a white rhino. Mm. So, so get one up for me, <laughs> raise it up from nothing, and then set it free so I can kill it. Um I, I, it probably sounds like I'm joking when I say we're going to have to decide how we treat manufactured intelligence 
relatively soon. But I think we have to decide that because we're going to have it relatively soon. Yeah. And then we really are going to have questions about who we are and how we are. Not just are we treating machines ethically, not just are we treating, you know, manufactured intelligence ethically. But if if the best thing that we can think to do is build lifelike machines to kill, I don't mean to kill other things, but for us to kill. Yeah. What are we at that point? Who are we at that point? And obviously the hunters are very happy with who they are in this. Tosk is very happy with who he is in this. I don't know that he has any option but to be happy. But he's very happy with who he is in this. And so we can sort of look at it and go, wow, that'd, that'd be weird, huh? Mm. We we may have to decide how weird we think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Eh, maybe in our lifetimes, maybe not. I guess we'll find out. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out so much more at Roddenberry.com. And if you're looking for a podcast or two, podcast.roddenberry.com is where you'll find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, The Trek Files, Women at Warp, and Priority One. For even more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Hugh Less. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. The Adventures of Tosk and O'Brien would have made an excellent spin-off with a tragic, tragic finale. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.